Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Amen. Slightly echoey or loud, or is that just me? Is that all right? Just me? Okay, well, I'll have to get used to speaking with some degree of authority. (laughs) Great. Okay, I'm just going to read some scripture to get started, and then we'll get into the notes. Hmm. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly, I tell you, not one... Stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. That's Matthew 24. Okay, so we started out last week by saying that the world is endlessly fascinated uh, with the subject of the end of the world and it's depicted it seems even more and predicted in various ways in book after book about zombie apocalypses and um, films about meteors that are going to crash into the earth Um, and with the disasters that it seems the world lurches from one to another of in the 21st century I don't think there's any chance that the interest indeed the fear about end-of-the-world stuff will wane any time soon. Among the places that people look and put forward answers to questions about what will happen is, of course, the Bible. And um, sometimes, as we said, that's like obscurely referenced verses out of Ezekiel or Revelation that uh, a detective will suddenly find out that the serial killer who is whoever he thought it was because here you will quote Revelation 17, 12 or whatever as if everybody knows what that is. And um, at the same time, there's a multitude of internet sites that you can quite happily spend days poring over, post after post of ideas, all of which are going to purport to give us the real meaning of what's really going on uh, behind the scenes. Um, But we said last week, we don't want to just take a verse out of context uh, or even a chapter out of context, as if the Bible is like a disjointed almanac, like like Nostradamus wrote, and make that our foundation to build what we believe about what is actually a very important 
aspects of our Christian faith. And I think that the more we get to understand what the Bible is saying about eschatology, which we said last week is the study of the last things, it can actually be really helpful for us to our own understanding when we go through hard times and when the world is going through tough times to help us to have a framework to be able to put it in. Um, So pastorally, I think it's something that the church needs to get better at trying to understand. And that's one of the reasons why I've spent some time studying it uh, through Lent in order to be able to bring some little thoughts of my own towards the books after books and things after things that there are out there. So what I'm trying to say is that we need to see the whole story in order to be able to begin to understand anything about the end times. Otherwise, it's about like walking in at the end of a film and you walk in and you start saying, oh, he's the baddie. (laughs) How do you know that? Well, look at him. You know, and you're liable to be wrong. You know, potentially, because you're just looking at that and then we're not seeing, well, what happened before and what part did that person play and and, uh, what's been said about them and all those kind of things. Because if we're going to... Um, to get that right, we need to be able to find the place in the story. And we saw that from the first to the last page of the Bible, oh, we've got a revival, there's a busload coming in, which is great to see, welcome, welcome. Um, Our God, who is the Alpha and Omega, knows the beginning from the end, and he has a plan for the end from the beginning. So nothing's taking God by surprise. There's great comfort, as we said last week, in knowing God knows. And sometimes when there's these questions that come up about what's going to happen about this and what's going to happen about that, actually to say God knows isn't just to say, well, I don't care. It's actually a good comforting thing to be able to know that God knows. God knows is a really good answer to a lot of questions And it encourages us to keep on believing whatever has happened, even when I don't know what's happening or what is going to happen. Um, And in my own individual life today or in, you know, political systems and things that are going on in the world and, you know, all this kind of thing. So last time, just a little recap, we saw that the fact that God knows was demonstrated clearly through the Old Testament with thousands of prophecies that were written down to detail world events in advance. And we saw too that some of those prophecies could have what scholars call double reference. Double reference means that it would have had some meaning for those who first read it, that it was prophesied to some people who didn't just go, what the heck's that about? Why are you saying that? But actually they would say, oh yes, that gives me comfort while we're in exile here in Babylon or wherever. But then it would also have another fulfilment at a later time. So the Gospels are full of instances where the writers say something that Jesus did or something that Jesus said directly or indirectly fulfilled a prophecy from Scripture that helped them to see Jesus is the Messiah. And they, you know, John said, I'm writing these things that you'll believe. 
He was, you know, quite upfront about it. And he said these things that Jesus was doing, they were signs. And yes, there was miracles, but there was also a lot of stuff that was like, people would be writing it. Matthew in particular, because he's writing to convince Jewish people, wants them to get it. The one we've all been praying for has come. So we are close to Palm Sunday. Um, and that's why it would be good for us to look for an example at one of the prophecies from Zechariah chapter 9. And uh, feel free to look that up in your Bible. Old Testament book, Zechariah, the chapter in the NIV, is headed, Judgment on God's Enemies. So, Zechariah chapter 9 spoke first of all in the 6th century BC to the people that Zechariah was speaking to. And he was a priest. His name means God remembers. And there were people in Judah and Jerusalem who were just returned from exile in Babylon. And so he had these visions and prophecies and messages that he brought to tell the people the temple is going to be rebuilt and this is what you need to do to live a holy life, to be ready for living God's way, and that one day in the future, the Messiah will come, the anointed one, the Christ. Christ is not a name, it's a title. And people say, Jesus Christ, Christ is the title, it's not a name. So we saw last week how at the time of Jesus, the anticipation that God would send his Messiah was reaching a fever pitch under Roman occupation. Those of you who could see it can see this picture. And basically we said that this was um, Second Temple Judaistic eschatological expectation. That's how you go on with that afterwards. But, oh, sorry, the cross is a bit in the way. Sorry about the cross being in the way. But anyway, Second Temple Judaistic eschatological expectation means at the time of Jesus, this is what people thought would happen when Messiah came. The, the, the story that they had was that there was a creation and then the fall. And God had a plan which was revealed through the law and the prophets. And for them, they were living in that age. That's the Old Testament age. And then even after Malachi, the, when we have a gap in our Bible and there was historical things that were happening then, the, the, they were still living with this expectation. In fact, it was only ever building that there would come a day when Messiah would come to the rescue and the resurrection would happen, new creation and God's rule as king would come and, and, and God would be king over all the earth and establish the throne of Messiah, if you like, oh, from, it, from Jerusalem. That's what they were all looking forward to. And so all the time they've got these Romans making them carry packs and do horrible things. They're all like, yeah, I just can't wait till Messiah comes. So... That's why on Palm Sunday, they're all waving palm branches for Jesus. It's the national symbol. It's like the Ukrainians waving sunflowers. It's like the Welsh with leeks and daffodils, yeah? Very political symbolism. See, the, the many messianic prophecies as they read them, going, sorry, just go back one again, if you can, Robert. That... that all of this prophecy was building up this expectation about a mighty military ruler who was going to come with God's power and send the lightning bolts 
and scatter the enemies and overturn all the baddies and and you know god would come and with these you know in some way this person would come with the heavenly host into jerusalem and just zap everybody who was god's enemy and establish that rule so that's what they are wanting and so they have as I say, the palm symbols are very you know they're singing hosanna to the son of david they've got this uh, who's david the king the king has come you know, going back to the glory days when, when they had David in charge and then after him Solomon and the wealth of Solomon was old, they're kind of looking back to those times of, of when everything was brilliant in Israel and it's going to come again so it's very political in its symbolism they wanted the Messiah to come and they wanted them to come now so what Zechariah's message to predict how the Messiah will come into the city, we, we know that Jesus planned for this to happen. It wasn't really an accident. He says that his, his disciples came and they basically brought out these, these uh, a donkey or, or um, a, a, you know, some say a donkey with a colt as well alongside. But, but this is all effectively to some extent. You know, some people have even said it's, it's kind of stage managed so that people would see, oh, Jesus is the Messiah. You know, it's like to recognize that. And, and, and hundreds of years before, Zechariah wrote, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy, agreed? When did he fulfill it? Then, right there and then. And as I say, that's this Sunday in the church calendar. It's Palm Sunday. It's the day, Palm Sunday, the day where we all high-five each other. Why don't you high-five somebody now? And say, that was a terrible joke. Thank you very much. Palm Sunday. So, his disciples were saying, people in Jerusalem were saying, Messiah's here. It's now. It's happening now. Go back one again, please. That's happening now, they're saying. Isn't this fantastic? That's what their expectation is. But then we read on. The next verse, and much that follows, is another prophecy as yet unfilled until his second coming. This is not a now. This is a not yet. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. Now, has that happened yet? No. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule, the Messiah's rule, will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's the very next verse. That was not fulfilled that day in Jerusalem. And by the end of the week, the crowd that was shouting Hosanna were shouting, crucify him, away with him. Why? Because he did not fulfill their expectations, even though he fulfilled the prophecies of God. He came and he said, I'm not coming to do away with him, I'll come and fulfill them. But they, didn't, they weren't fulfilled the way they wanted to be fulfilled, and they weren't all fulfilled the way that they wanted them to be filled, which was now. And Jesus of Nazareth did not fit the bill for them. He didn't fit the picture of the Messiah that they were expecting and they thought was predicted. See, they looked at Scripture and they'd come up with a picture of what Messiah would look like and what effectively, you know, the end of the age and the new age to come would look like. 
and he didn't fit. Matthew chapter 26 recounts how at his trial, the high priest challenged Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You've said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. See, the people in that kangaroo court knew that what he was saying was, yes, I am the Messiah. He was quoting, well, echoing Psalm 110, which was a Messianic prediction, and pretty much directly quoting the vision of the, the Son of Man, the Messiah, that's in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. They all knew it was blasphemy as far as they were concerned. But covered in blood and bruises, standing before them was not the Messiah. He was not a fearsome warrior surrounded by an army. This is a wounded preacher abandoned by everybody. They were waiting and wanting now for a conqueror. And all they could see in front of them was a carpenter. So they feel quite justified in saying you're an imposter. You're a deceiver. You're a son of Satan. Now we know that right from when Jesus was born, many messianic prophecies were fulfilled during his life on earth. Hundreds of them. As he said he'd come to do, I just referenced this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He didn't say, he said, I'm not come to do a way to abolish the law of the prophets, that bit, that bit. I'm not come to get rid of them, I've come to fulfill them. I'm going to fulfill them all. So, you know, Isaiah 7 verse 14 spoke of God's sign. A virgin would give birth to a child who would be called Emmanuel. Looking back 700 years later on, Matthew, one of his disciples, ends up making the connection. <gasps> that was Jesus. And we make the connection now every year at Christmas. But who did at the time? Just about everybody missed it. One of the reasons the Pharisees felt justified and continually rejected him was because he was from Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. Look into it yourself. You'll see no prophet ever came from Nazareth. That's what they even said. They thought, because he's from Nazareth, and yes, he was from Nazareth. Like, I'm from Manchester, but I was born in Ipswich. And we all know where Jesus was born, don't we? Not in Ipswich. He was born where the Messiah had to be born. The only place on earth that the Messiah could be born to fulfill the prophecy. Go back 700 years from the census for tax purposes that was being decreed by the emperor who didn't know that he was fulfilling prophecy and making God's purposes happen when he was just trying to get people to leave wherever they lived and come back to their ancestral home to register for their taxes. And you see that the prophet Micah declares to a little town, but you, Bethlehem Epathra, although you are small among the clans of, the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. So everybody knew where Messiah was going to be born. 
David's town, Bethlehem, was the only place. When the Magi from the east come looking, because they thought they'd seen the sign in the stars in the sky, and then they come and they ask, and they ask Herod, and he's like, oh, I don't really know, I'm not a big Bible man, but I'll get my boys in, and they all come in, and they say, Bethlehem, look's here, Micah said it. The prophecies were fulfilled exactly together with hundreds of Old Testament prophecies unfolding precisely throughout his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection, including his flight to Egypt, his teaching in parables, his healing ministry, his rejection and betrayal for 30 pieces of silver, his suffering, his thirst, his piercing as he was nailed to the cross between two thieves while his garments were being gambled for, yet none of his bones were broken. It was prophesied that after his death, where he gave everything for us that he'd be buried in a rich person's grave, but then that he would rise from the dead. It was all prophesied. I could give you references for all of those. But, and now surely this raises a question for us. The disciples and the gospel writers looked back after the events and saw the links. I heard Emma Stark recently talk about calling them hyperlinks in the Bible, like this thing links to this one. I like that picture. After his resurrection, Jesus met with the disciples specifically to breathe the Holy Spirit on them and to show them and to teach them the connections, how it all fit together. You might remember the two that he met on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, verse 27. You know, he spoke with them and, and you know, in like, they, didn't know, they didn't even see then that it was him. And he said to them, how slow... How slow you are to believe everything that was written about me. It's like, how, how have you been missing it? And like, you're still missing it. And here I am with you post-resurrection. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets. You remember the timeline? Remember that? He explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. It's like all of that. It's all about me. Luke then goes on to say how he appeared again to the disciples to show them the hyperlinks between him and those prophecies in Scripture. Luke 24, verses 44 to 7, he appeared to them. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. It's like up until that point, they've not been able to see because we don't just need information, we need revelation. You can have all the information in the world, but it does you no good without revelation. He told them, This is what was written The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. He said that, and they're like, Where's that written? Everywhere if you can see it. And they see it now. He said, oh, our hearts, didn't our hearts burn within us? Well, he was teaching us along the way. You know, that's what they said at Emmaus. And I'm no doubt they're feeling the same when they're like there with him. Can you imagine being in one of those post-resurrection Bible studies with Jesus? How amazing that must have been for him to open your mind, to be able to see, blow your mind. Oh, you're the seed that was promised to Eve 
You're the one who came by the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're the lamb that was slain. You're the priest like Melchizedek. You're the prophet like Moses. You, you're the Passover. You're the the rock that was struck. You're the scapegoat. You're the sign that was lifted up in the desert to bring healing to everybody who looks for you. You're the lion of the tribe of Judah. Page after page, promise after promise, prophecy after prophecy, fulfilled. (gasps) You're the captain of salvation who came to Joshua. You're our kinsman redeemer in Ruth. You're David's son. You're Job's mediator. You're the shepherd who walks us through the valley of the shadow of death. (gasps) You're the friend who sticks closer than the brother in Proverbs. You're the altogether lovely one in the Song of Songs. It's you, isn't it? You're the Emmanuel in Isaiah. You're the wonderful counsellor. You're the Prince of Peace. You're the everlasting Father. You're the mighty God. Oh, you're the suffering servant. It's you who was wounded for our transgressions and, and bruised for our iniquities. You were despised and rejected. You were silent before your accusers. You were put into a, assigned a, a grave with the rich, but now... As Redeemer, you're the light to the Gentiles. Wow. <gasps> you're the Son of Man in Daniel, whose kingdom will never end. John the Baptist was the one that was like Elijah, who was coming to prepare the way for you. Like, like Malachi said, he'd turn the hearts of the Father to. It's you, isn't it? They saw it all now, but only. After the event, they couldn't work it all out themselves. And they'd missed it. They'd missed him all the way through, right till then. Now, these people, of course, disciples, I mean, they're writing gospels later on, they know the Bible. We see that. The scribes and the Pharisees knew the Bible really, really well. They you know, could recite it back to front from memory, including the prophecies, the signs of the Messiah. But he told them, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So that raises for us a question to discuss in little groups. These people were waiting for his appearance based upon their understanding and interpretation of Scripture. Yet they missed the Messiah completely. Why would we be sure we won't do the same if we are waiting to correctly interpret the signs of his second coming? a terrible question. Nobody likes me. Discuss it with friends near you. Okie dokie. Let's, um, I do want to get done by half past like uh, we aim to. So just quickly, anybody got any thoughts, any wonderings, any, any kind of, I'm not necessarily looking for q and I'm just thinking if you've got any thoughts or anything out of that that you want to share. Anybody? Sally. I always get um, the 
nation of Israel has been formed after the Second World War is definitely sad again. Okay, we'll come back to that. So that's an interesting point that we will... I've actually got in my notes for later on. The nation of Israel being formed, 1948, is a sign of the, the end. Okay? So, as well as his response to the high priest at his trial, Jesus had clearly told his disciples not only that he would be killed and rise again, but that he would ascend to heaven and return. This naturally led to more questions from them. What were the questions? When? What will the signs be? Which is probably the questions that we've still got, which is why most of you are here tonight. When and when what will the signs be? Well, in Matthew 24, which we started out with reading, the Lord prophesied what happened during the first Jewish war in AD 70, the destruction of the temple. Then he warned his followers, and it goes on in the chapter, didn't it read it all, to prepare and be ready for intense suffering and persecution simply for following him before, in verse 30, all the peoples on the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. In other words, I will be back, I'll be back. So this is not... He's not talking about a spiritual sense, I'll be with you in spirit. He's, he's not got some allegorical picture or parable here. It's a physical reality of his return. Okay, then you carry on and look at the book of Acts, which opens with the disciples, with Jesus, who's resurrected, and, and I mean, they must, he's not said I'm going anytime soon, so they must assume he's staying. And he's still unpacking the Bible with them and helping them to understand everything. And they know he's the Messiah now. He's proved it. He died and rose again. He's like, what more do you want? So while they were eating with him, it says this in Acts chapter 1, while they were eating with him, because he really is physically resurrected, so he's a body and so he's eating with them. He didn't say they're watching, he's watching them eat. He's actually, you know, he made breakfast for them in the end of John. He's like, Touch me, see, I am real, he says to Thomas, you know. So they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, is it now, Lord? Like we've all been waiting, just waiting for you to come back and get God's kingdom here on earth. You know, the Romans, the Romans are terrible. And we're oppressed and our leaders are worse and they don't even represent God anymore and they crucified you, how bad? How bad could it possibly get on the earth than it is right now? So is it, is it now? Because they want it to be now, don't they? It's like, it can't get any worse than this. You know, do it now, Lord. They still got, see, they've still got the previous picture in mind of what the kingdom come looks like, you know? That's what they're expecting. So they're like, we're ready. Is it now? Is it going to happen now? They believe he's the Messiah. Now he's going to come. He's going to deal fully and finally with the evil in the world. He's going to fix the brokenness back to normal and he's going to reign and everybody's going to see that he's the king. And you know, James and John are still kind of wondering whether they get a seat next to him and all of this kind of thing. 
They wanted it now. Wouldn't you? You know? When we look at things that are going on in the world, don't you kind of have that, oh, just let it be now. Let it be now. Do it now, Lord. I'm glad he didn't. And I mean that, even though there's terrible things that happen in the world and have happened in history since then, times when godly people most surely have looked at what was going on in the world around them and thought, he's got to come now. Surely he's going to come now. With all of this terror, with all of these tyrants, with all of these tragedies, surely it's got to be now. I'm glad that he didn't come to fully reign as the king on the earth in AD 33. Because of what happened in 1965 and in 1986. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, hang on, I've never seen that on the internet. You know, and I've read up on this and, you know, you never, you might not see and some of you might have a prophetic timeline and try and match this date and say that this is really important for us and I've actually put in here like 1948 when Israel was reformed or whatever year some people will say Europe was formed because that's the beast out of the sea with the ten heads in Revelation and all that. And you're not going to find in anybody else's dates on you can know when Jesus is coming back chart those dates. Why are they important then? Because I was born in 1965 and I was born again at 21. And I thank God that the Father said, not yet, and gave time in this messed up, broken, horrible world at times for me to be saved. At the right time that he'd predestined for me to hear about and come and respond to his love and know him, the cross, the resurrection and ascension, pressed pause on the age to come. It's the only thing I can kind of see it as, basically. It's like, you know, that, that happened. The cross happened. This section happens. And that's where we live now. That's where we're now living. We're, you know, Galatians 1 verse 4 says, he calls it this present evil age. Why would we expect it to all be perfect and good and be shocked when bad things happen? I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that's the evil age. That's where we're living right now. So let's take the dates off because, of course, well, for one thing, I don't actually know where on that timeline 1965 is. I don't know where, where on that timeline 1965 is. Why don't I know? Because you don't know how long it is. You know? 1965 could be like here, couldn't it? Really? It could, could it be? Is that right? 1965 could be like, you know, right there. I don't, I don't actually know. Because I don't know how long it is. I don't know how long there is left until Jesus returns to reign forever when death, our last enemy, is defeated. Now, people in various ages 
Other ages may have looked at the troubles and the tribulations going on in their time and then looked at their Bibles and interpreted it out. And from them, some people have actually said, well, that means Jesus is going to come now. He's coming now. So, I mean, here's the question. You probably want to know, what do I think? Is this the end times? Yes. This is the end times. I actually believe I was born in the end times and I was born again for the end times. Because we live between the now and the not yet. Which can actually help to explain an awful lot of pain. The Apostle Peter writing at the end of AD 68, we know it had to be before then because he was crucified upside down by Nero in AD 68. Just a few days, a few decades after the crucifixion, the resurrection and ascension, not long, as persecution starting to hot up, even by then some people were saying, he's not coming back. We've waited long enough. You know, we've waited long enough for Jesus to come back. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 to 9, he said, we need to understand, he said, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, everything's just going to carry on. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the water that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And then look what he says next. See, this is why the Lord did not come back in 1965 or 1987, 1997 or 2020 or yesterday. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus didn't come back yesterday because there were still more people that the Father wanted to save yesterday. God wanted me to be saved. God wanted you to be saved. That's why Jesus came. God wanted you and me to come to know him forever. That's why the Father waited. Does that blow anybody else's mind? It's humbling, isn't it, to think that. You know, he was like, at some point, you know, Zoe hasn't come yet. She's lost in sin. Let's wait. Let's wait. Somebody's going to invite her to come and hear a story of salvation. She's going to watch Crossing the Switchblade. And she's going to get it. She's only 14 and not done a lot of sinning, to be honest with you, but <laughs> needs to be forgiven and start again and have a, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and he's slow. He's not slow. He's not slow. He's just very, very patient. Big difference. Her mum's looking back at her to make sure she wasn't doing yes, quite right. So, so Zoe, forget Zoe for this. No, don't forget Zoe. Forget about me talking about Zoe. I'm going to rewind. <laughs> right, come back. 
Jesus replied to his disciples, who in AD 33 wanted it to happen now, that the one thing that they needed to know was not the signs, not the when, but that they had a job to do. He said, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But here's what you need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. See, we've already said, we've already seen God knows what will happen and when. Jesus clearly says here that it's not for me to know the times and the dates, but the Father has set them and it's not yet. But what I need to do is be filled with the Holy Spirit and get going and tell people to get ready now because Jesus is coming. And yeah, it's not yet, but Jesus is coming. And we don't know when the not yet will run out. Now, this really helps me again. And I say, I think it's important for us to think about it in a pastoral sense. When we're dealing with hard issues, and we do in life, you know, all kinds of awful stuff that we've seen and heard about and maybe, you know, even our own family's gone through. Death, diseases, destruction, wreck lives now. But not yet. It's coming. God's going to do something. It's not yet, but not yet is on the way. The, the thing that is not yet is on the way. Tyranny, greed will seem to go unpunished. Evil will look as if it triumphs over and over again. Now. But something different's coming. Not yet, but it's coming. Families will fall apart, famines will rage, fires will burn down houses now. But, but not yet is going to happen. What, is not, what has not yet happened is going to happen very soon. You know, Jesus said the world now is like a field of wheat, but the enemy, the devil, has come in and he's sown weeds among the wheat. Where? Right alongside, all in the same field. The servants, if you remember, the servants, the, the angels, he later identifies them as, they come along and they say, shall we go in now and try and sort it out? Shall we do it now? Can't we sort it out now? What does he say? He doesn't say no. He says, not yet. Not yet. He says, if you try and do that now, you try and move in and sort it all out now, you're just going to, spoil the harvest you're just going to damage the harvest but the day is coming not yet but it's coming so God's heart broke over so many things God's heart is breaking now over so many things that are happening in his field which is the world but I for one have to say I'm so glad and grateful that while terrible things were happening in the world in the early 60s Maybe the trumpet, I don't know, the angel was warming up, ready to blow it. And the father said, not yet, not yet. My child, my son, 
Anthony Delaney needs to know. My, my other son, my son Jesus died for him on the cross and my son Anthony Delaney needs to be adopted into my family forever. I want him to have the chance. I want him to come to repentance so, so then he can go another, to other people and he can tell them. He can be filled with the Spirit and he can go and tell them too. And, and he needs to get that chance to be able to respond to my grace. Doesn't that blow your mind? I only, and literally, this is, was some kind of revelation for me this afternoon that really humbled me about this and, and really helped me to kind of be encouraged that, um, you know, we will look next, next week at some different ways that people have looked at and could look at what's happening in this bit here. And there's all kinds of views about that. Um, but... What I want us to get tonight is just to consider and pray through and think about what it means that you and I, I was born between the now and the not yet. Um, and this is what it means to be living in the end times. Because the end times are, as I say, between the now and the not yet. And... Um, Next week, I was going to try and wrap, wrap it up tonight, but I thought there's actually a lot more questions you probably have, and I've still got more questions, and maybe the only way I can get answers to some of them is by studying a bit more, so I'll do a bit more. But, but I, think, I think I want us to look at what the hope of that age to come means, because we can pull that into our present reality. But what I want to say up front is that won't necessarily come by me being able to say, oh, well, this bit means that. And this bit means him. And this bit means Russia. Because when we do that, perhaps, we are placing, and we tend to do this, I mean, I just did it before, we're making our period of history the most important history in the whole of the world. And I think we have to be careful before we do that. Hi, I'm Anthony Delaney. I'd love to welcome you to Ivy Church. Do check out the website, click on a few buttons, look at some previous teaching and some of the other things that we've been involved with. And why not plan to join us soon at one of our locations? Join a grow group, do the alpha course and figure out for yourself what it is that Christians believe. Or if you've got anything we can pray about, be in touch, press the contact button so that you can email us, let us know about you and how we hope you can be part of us. Come and join us at Ivy Church.